This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. I want to take you back to the year 1945 as we begin the program tonight. It was a very special year. 1945, well, following the effects of polio as a young man, President Roosevelt died on April 12th. Following the defeat of Germany in early 1945, the war officially ended in Europe on May 7th. President Harry S. Truman orders the use of the new nuclear bombs developed by Robert Oppenheimer's team. The first an atomic bomb nicknamed Little Boy on Hiroshima, Japan, and after the second atomic bomb nicknamed Fat Man over the city of Nagasaki, Japan, five days later, surrendered. War in Europe ends May 7th, and all Adolf Hitler and his wife of one day, Eva Braun, commit suicide. Well, how about prices for various items back then? Average cost of a new home in 1945, $4,600. Average wages per year? $2,400. Cost of a gallon of gas, 15 cents. <laughs> and get this, a portable typewriter would run you $68.37. How about radio audiences? Well, they were listening to, in January of that year, The Saint debuting on NBC. Later that month, Lionel Barrymore becomes the host of Lux Radio Theater, replacing Cecil B. DeMille. And in 1945, Superman encounters Batman and Robin for the very first time. And as far as sci-fi programs is concerned, lights out filled the bill. So, let's listen to an episode from that program that was aired in 1945 and the episode entitled Rocket Ship. Lights out, everybody. Set at this hour, yes, one minute after ten Eastern peacetime, but the years have moved onward to the number of fifty-five. The place of our story is a great rocket speeding away from the moon. Yes, away. For the first trip to the moon has finally taken place, 
and a triumphant airship is now rapidly returning to the Mother Earth. Here, then, is a story about a tomorrow 55 years hence, September 20th in the year of our Lord, 2000, on board a rocket ship. A play that is, I sincerely hope, a very false prophecy. There's a great deal of work to be done. Work's over, Doctor. Twenty-four hours more and we're back. Yes, Doctor. We'll be back. We've done it. Complete. In 24 hours. If you're worried about our landing, I'm not. You worried, Reynolds? No, sir. Everything's in perfect order. Sure, Doctor. There's going to be a round trip. Anyway, there's 24 hours before we have to worry about that. Yes, Doctor. It's a time for celebration. Oh, I'm glad to be alive, boys. I'm glad to be alive. I'm riding on a rocket train, and soon I will arrive. Reynolds, Reynolds. You men out of your minds. You, Major Russell. Reynolds is still a boy, but you're a mature man. Please act mature. Oh, but I'll grant you that our adventure has gone well. Well is right. We've been to the moon. My congratulations. Thank you, Major. Thank you. I'll put the medal on my other chair. Will you men listen to me? We're 48,000 miles from the earth. And headed right for it. We're not there yet. Doc, pardon the expression, but you're a gloomy Joe. I am a realist. Doctor, the possibilities of anything going wrong are remote. Surely we're entitled to relax a little and relish the fact of what we've done. Yeah, we've done it, Doc. Even if we never get back, we've done it. We've been to the moon, and it'll always be there on the books. I'm not interested in becoming an historical fact, Major Russell. The data we've collected, that's my only interest. May I ask you and Reynolds to get back to your post? Oh, but everything's going like clockwork. Look at the gauges. But we are out of radio contact with the Earth. Yes, sir. But we are on course. Doc, what is wrong? Wrong? What should be wrong? Well, the kid's right, Doc. Ever since we made the circle and started back all these days, you've been acting as if we didn't make it. We've gone 243,000 miles, and we're three-quarters of the way back, and we're in, Doc. We're in. So what's the matter with you? How old were you, Major, when the Second World War ended? Oh, about five. What's that got to do? And you, Reynolds, you weren't even born. No, sir. I was 21 on that day in New Mexico when they set off the first chain reaction. 21. Doc, you mean to say you were in at the beginning of it? Of course he was. Dr. Chamberlain was one of the original research men in the atomic bomb project back in 45. The only one of them alive today. Well, what do you know? 
So that's why you wanted to make this trip, Doc. I mean, you... Yes, Major. You wanted it as a substitution for what you missed as a boy. The excitement and glory of war. Oh, Doc. It's true, and Reynolds here is young and idealistic. And the scientific wonder of it was what he wanted. And I... I was there at the birth of an era. Now atomic power is driving me into space, back to the Earth where it all began. And I'm thinking... Yeah, Doc? It's not pertinent to any of this. We have no time to discuss our emotions. There's work to be done.
the oxygen valve. That's why you're yawning. Oh, yes, Two points. Two points. Well, the major's sure sleeping. Yes. It's only a few more hours, isn't it? Yes. Will we have to put on our compression suits the way we did on the takeoff? Yes, of course. Uh, Doctor, may may I ask you something? Yes. Uh, before you spoke of finding an answer on the moon, and and then you didn't say any more. Well, I've been thinking about it. I was wondering if it was something that the major couldn't understand, and that's why you didn't speak of it further. And now you want to know. Yes, sir. I, I haven't lived anywhere as long as you two have, but my life has been built around atomic power. My dad, he was one of your men. My, ever since I was a child, becoming a physicist like dad was, and you are, and Dr. Oppenheimer and all the rest, why, that was it. Now, all of a sudden, the way you spoke before, as if all our research has been criminal. Do you mean that? Do you... Collision. Radar. Get at it. What's the matter? What's the matter? Object approaching. Where? Uh, uh, 15 degrees west. There it is. Meteorite. It's a meteorite. It's all... Uh, uh, that was the closest. Oh, it was indeed. This sardonic indeed to collide with a meteorite at this point in our journey. I, I use a stronger word than sardonic, Doctor. Yeah, like fatal. It's all clear. Well, I, I better get back to... No, Reynolds. Reynolds, you asked me a question before and I want to answer it. You too, Major Russell, I want you to hear this. Sure. Reynolds overheard what I said to you. That I'd found the answer to a very old question on the moon. He said that he felt that somehow I thought all of the research on atomic power had been criminal. No, young man, I don't believe that. Not at all. Criminal to know more about a way of nature? No. The answer I, I found was something else. I haven't even an answer, perhaps only a theory. When we came within a hundred miles of the moon and then began to deaccelerate to turn back, what did we see through the observation ports? Well, Doctor, sir, No, sir. please, let me tell you what I saw. The craters of the moon. Great, gigantic craters, and as we came closer and closer, the look of them was so familiar. Not because I had seen them through telescopes and in photographs, but for some reason that I, I couldn't quite understand. Craters of the moon, and suddenly, at the very moment when we'd come as close as we dared and our ship swung in an orbit to return, suddenly I knew. It was a memory of another crater I had seen 55 years before in New Mexico from an observation plane high over the ground a few hours after the first atomic bomb had lit the sky with a new sun. Yes. The crater in the crust of the earth that bomb had left was the same as the craters of the moon. Do you understand? The crater our bomb had left on the earth was the same as the craters on the moon. So what? I don't get it. Yes, Doctor. What are you getting at? The crater in that desert was a thousandth of the size of the ones you're talking about. I suddenly began to think. Was it not possible that the moon had gone through the same evolutionary processes as our Earth before our Earth? Yes. 
Wasn't it possible that men had come into being on the moon, developed their own civilization, had known scientific progress, even as we have, but long before we Earthmen had known it? Say, Doc! You do understand. These men of the moon had discovered the secret of atomic power long before we did, and then had used it to blast and to tear each other. Yes. And the craters on the moon, that terrible devastation, was the record of the destruction of their civilization. A final war, which had burned up the very atmosphere and left the moon a dead planet circling endlessly through an airless sky. All right, Doctor. Presuming your theory is correct, that, that the moon men had started through a war, a, a chain atomic reaction that they couldn't stop, well, what of it? It indicates that they were fools. Yeah, that's it. Fools. Are we any wiser? Cut it down. Right. How much? About 15%. Right. You get anything, Reynolds? No, sir. Would you come here a moment? Yes, sir. Will you help me with this port covering? Yes, sir. Here, there. All right. Oh, that... Hey, try and take a look, huh? Yes, that's it. Ah. There she is. Mama Earth. Reynolds, the cameras? Yes, sir. How much should I run, Doctor? Put it on automatic exposure. Yes, sir. Six more hours, eh, Doctor? Or less. Sure we haven't made a mistake and headed for Venus. What are you... <laughs> that was just a bad joke, Doc. Well, there's no two ways about it. The outline of the continents, we can't make any mistake about that being our home address. I wonder how much they can see of us. What are we, six, seven thousand miles out? You know, this reminds me of the time about 25 years ago. The Army sent me up to a thousand miles to take observation photographs. We remember how the atomic reaction motors were then. We got up about 500 feet and... Nature. What? What? Look down. Look. Hmm? What? Well, I don't see anything. Look, I tell you. Reynolds, come here. What's the matter? Something wrong? Well, the doctor says... Reynolds, right. look. You see? Yes. What is it? I see it, too. Bright lights going on and off. What's going on down there? Doctor, are they signaling us? Are they signaling? It's 6,000 miles. Why? Why should they? That's right. There's no such plan. Look at it. It is lights going on and off. But they're all from one area. And you make out where? North America. Then they are signals. The candle in the window. Your own question. At 6,000 miles? Wait a minute. Are they explosions? Explosions? Major Doctor, is that it? Are they explosions? I don't know.
CQ, CQ, hello, 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 CQ, CQ. Oh, I'm sorry, Doctor, I can't raise anyone. Doc, Doc, come here. Yes, but look, the closer we get, they are explosives. Three more hours, we'll know. I want to know now. Reynolds, what's the matter with you? Why can't you make radio contact? I'm doing everything I can. Major. Major. Doc, what are craters? Look. Craters. Craters. At this altitude, you couldn't possibly... After each flash, I do see them. Okay, okay, what does it mean? Well, what are you looking at me like that for? What does it mean? Dr. Major, something's coming through. Oh, what about today? time? I, I can only hear it faintly. What? What? Please, let me listen. United States. What? Oh. Reynolds, what is it? Tell us. What? Boy, I, I couldn't quite make up. He, he said... Said what? Tell us. War. He said war. Blasting the United States off the face of the earth. Blasting. It's, it's a joke, isn't it? Isn't it? Sending now. What now? It began an hour ago. No warning. Projectiles radio controlled. Point of origin unknown. Oh, it stopped again. The transmission. That's enough. Where's the international police force? What's being done about it? Doctor. Doctor, did you hear it was an attack without warning? Who could it be? What's the idea? The explosions are increasing in frequency. Reynolds! Reynolds, anything more coming through? No, nothing. Yes. Yes, they started transmission again. All right, let's have it quick. Some station in Midwest. I can't get the call letters. Who cares? He says... It's hell. Ground shaking. No bombs landed near... Air reconnaissance. It's so garbled I can hardly make out. Well, well. It started an hour ago. Everything burning. Oh, it stopped again. There's nothing. Doctor? Doctor, in heaven's name, what do you think it's all about? Stop staring out of the window and talk to me. What are they doing? What do you mean, what are they doing? They're bombing us, blasting us. It's war, but who? We've got to find out. Reynolds, find out who. It's no use. There's no transmission. Doctor, those bombs, where are they coming from? Can't you tell by the trajectory? At this distance? And what difference does the face of the enemy make? It, it's happening, that's all. Smashed them. I always said we should have smashed them. Exterminated them 50 years ago. Well, they were so peaceful for so many years. And... The flashes are increasing in frequency. Reynolds, get on that radio. I'll try again. I've got to know who, that devil. We had agreements with everyone. The international... Devils, all of them. Call them devils, I don't even know who they are. Reynolds! You got anything? No, no, I don't. 
Doctor, faster. Let's get down there faster. Let's open it up. Well, you know better than that. We're entering atmosphere. Increased speed, we burn up like a meteorite. But I'm an army man. All my life Nothing's I've been coming through. What? What? The bombs? Nothing can... I can hardly make it out. Keep at it. Panic. Paratroopers. Who? Who? Last message from United States of It's ended. There is no more. get down there faster. Only 500 more miles. Look at it down there. Our Air Force, protective measures. What happened to them? What happened? Doctor, you, why don't you say something? We'll just sit there for hours watching. This isn't a scientific experiment going on down there. They're blasting us to pieces. Us, us. Your atomic bomb, the great secret. Hold it over the world and have peace forever. You said that. Yes, you. I was a kid then. I heard you say it over the radio when they gave you a medal. Hold it over the world and have peace forever. But what do you got to say now? We had a wonderful 55 years. What? Everybody had a wonderful time. Reynolds, what's the matter with him? He's gone. No. Let him finish. First, we hung the criminals 55 years ago. And as soon as their body stopped swinging, we left the crowd and each went back to his own house and shut the door. You said the peace would hold forever. I I said it because I thought that when the secret was put away, the people of the world would remember the terror. I, I said to myself, now, surely now that they've seen the possibility of the disintegration of their earth, they'll be drawn together once again into the, the family of men as it must have been in the beginning. I, I forgot what years could do. I forgot how quickly forgetfulness comes. I forgot that in only a few years, Hiroshima and Nagasaki would be only yesterday's sensations for a nation eager for sensations for today. You keep asking me who's sending those bombs against us. Who? I tell you, we're sending them against ourselves. Yes. Because had we made our way of life something more than a confused dream of shiny machines and happy endings, those bombs of hatred and revenge would not be flying at us. I said the peace would hold forever because I thought that out of that war at last men had learned that there was no defense against hatred and revenge, but the defense of education for the unity of people. It was a race, gentlemen, against time. And we wasted our last 55 years running backwards on a track of chromium and plastics. And so we've lost forever. No. We've never lost. Look, the blasts are increasing in frequency. There's nothing left. Nothing. We'll start someplace else. We'll build... Doctor, look. The color of the blast. Oh, dear God. What? What? Doctor, it's nitrogen, isn't it? 
Nitrogen, what? Fools, the everlasting fools I won. The blast. More and more. They started something they couldn't end. The color of the blast, they've set off hydrogen atoms. I, I, I don't know what you... We used uranium, plutonium, and when the initial blast was over, that was all. But hydrogen, that's part of life. One reaction sets off the other, like setting off an endless chain until... Look down there. Blast. Faster and faster. They're spreading. The fools. God help the fools. God help the fools. Tell me, what is it? What was it? Tell me. It burned up all the atmosphere. Burned up? Reynolds, what does he mean? The chain reaction burned up all the air. Oh, what? Major, Major, the left jet. down there? There's no air, no life. The moon, the earth, the same. Uh. How much fuel? There's the gauge. Two, three hours? Yes. Yes, I think that's right. Isn't it, Major? Yeah. What? What do we do? You ask that question now? The Major no longer asks it. Do you know the answer, Major? Sure. We'll circle around. Then we'll crash. <gasps> no, 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 no. No, it'll be all right, my boy. My words again. Have peace. tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly, played by that married couple, Jim and Marion Jordan. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, the King's Men, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Shine.
And once again, it's Fibber McGee and Molly time. Fibber McGee and Molly. The dramatic story of a woman with her faith in a man. And a man with his faith in a newspaper. Will something exciting, unusual, or momentous take place in the little frame house at 79 Wistful Vista tonight? Or is that expecting too much? Yes, I guess it's expecting too much. Anyway, here they are, Fibber McGee and Molly. Anything interesting in the paper, dearie? Well, here's an interesting article on crop surpluses, Molly. You don't say. Yeah. Now, take corn, for instance. Certainly. We can take it and we can dish it out. (laughs) Hey, I'm serious. This writer says that if conditions keep up, the small farmer will be completely anahiliated. Oh. Hey, uh, what's anahiliated? Anahiliated. Uh. Why, that means, uh, well, uh, when a farmer... uh, Well, now, for instance... uh, Where's the dictionary? (laughs) It's probably in the closet with the rest of your stuff. Give me your key and I'll get it for you. Oh, no, you don't. You lay off the stuff in that closet. I got all my stuff arranged in there just the way I want it. Now, don't be silly. Give me the key. <sighs> okay. Now, let's see. Which one of these is the most... Heavenly days. Why do you carry all those keys? Does it make you feel important or something? <laughs> what do you mean, important? Every one of them keys is necessary. What's that little key there for? Well, uh, that's a padlock key. What padlock? Well, for, the, for the backyard gate we used to have in Peoria. <laughs> What are you keeping that for? Are you homesick? No, but if we ever move back to Peoria, I'd try to rent the same house because this key fits the padlock there. <laughs> you got to think ahead in these things. And you see this key here? Looks like the key to a can of salmon. Nope, sardines. <laughs> I use that to clean my pipe with. Oh, I see. Now, let's see. Which one of these keys is the closet door key? Say, uh, maybe we better see if the closet is locked. Let me take a look. Oh, it's locked all right. You don't think I'd leave all my personal defects laying around for any prowler to get his hands on? Yourself, calm yourself. Them are my trout flies. Oh. <laughs> Doggone it, Molly. Why did you have to go and mess up? Oh, dear. Come in. Fibber McGee and Molly? Yes. Uh, tell me, with all these radio shows being changed, is it true that you're going to cut your program down to a half hour? What do you mean, cut it down? It's only a half hour now. What? Boy, it sure seems like an hour. <laughs> well, as the guy says when he fell off of the horse and heard something bust... That sounded to me like a rib. Well, never mind that now. Ah, dear, oh, dear, look at all this junk that fell out of that closet. Don't worry, I'll put it back, Molly. Oh, no, you won't. We're going to go through that pile of whatnots and throw everything out we don't need. Oh, yeah? Well, I've been through this stuff a hundred times, and there ain't a thing of it that I can spare. Oh, there isn't? No. What's this old rusty horseshoe for? Well, I found that in 1911. As soon as I find three more, we can pitch horseshoes in the backyard. I see. You expect to find three more, huh? You betcha. 
You don't think the automobile is here to stay, eh? <laughs> Won't be if we don't catch up with the payments. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. What you want? You remember that job you promised me to take care of your baby, only you didn't have one, so I was going to bring my little brother over and take care of him, remember? Hmm? Do you? Hmm? Yes, yes, sure, I remember, well, but I... Well, well, the deal is off, see? What do you mean, the deal is off? In the first place, there wasn't any deal, and in the second... My mommy had to take my little brother to the doctor today, so I can't bring him over. Oh, that's too bad. What's the matter with your little brother? Anything serious? My mama thinks so. Oh. <coughs> she thinks so, huh? She thinks so. I had to clear my throat there. She thinks she swallowed a dime. <laughs> swallowed a dime? Well, say, that is serious. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, he didn't swallow a dime, I bet you. Huh? It was only eight cents. <laughs> only eight cents? How do you know? Well, we were, we were playing slot machine, and I fed him to him. <laughs> you doing, mister? Well, we're cleaning out this closet, if you must know. I mustn't. Mustn't what? No. No? Yes. What? Hmm? Oh. <laughs> Listen, sis, suppose you go on home and annoy somebody else. Go bother your daddy. He isn't home. He's working on the senseless. <laughs> on the what? The senseless. He goes to people's doors and asks them how many people in the family and how old are you and all stuff like that there, I bet you. Oh, you mean the census. Hmm? <laughs> Chucks, I didn't even think a kid your age knew what a census was. Well, I do, I bet you. Yeah? A census is information, please, on the red, white, and blue network. da 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 <laughs> Stuffing pimentos into olives. <laughs> oh, hey, look at this, Molly. The tabaret I made in manual training. Hmm. Yeah. Didn't you ever finish anything? It's only got three legs. <laughs> they wouldn't let me stay in the fifth grade another year. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, McGee, look. One of our old dance programs before we were married. Oh, I didn't know you were so sentimental, dearie. Is that a dance program? I was saving it on account of that little pencil hanging onto it. <laughs> you never know when you'll need a pencil. Uh, listen to this. Waltz, waltz, turkey trot, waltz, bunny hug, waltz, Texas Tommy, waltz. What, no shoddish? <laughs> Grizzly bear, waltz. Bear. 
Ah, you had every dance with me but the last waltz. McGee, who did you dance that one with? (laughs) Why, nobody. We sat that one out. In the buggy, remember? Oh, Oh, yes. And we couldn't go back to the dance because you sat on a box of Lowney's chocolate-covered cherries and spoiled your white pants. <laughs> that was the night they took us to Come in. Oh, hello, Johnny. Hello, daughter. Say, I'm looking for a nice room in the neighborhood. Got one to rent? No, I don't believe so, Mr. Oldtimer. Oh, come on, kids. I'll pay three bucks a week with meals or two bucks a week and eat out. Two and a half if you leave me see the funny paper first on Sundays. <laughs> Nothing doing, old-timer. We ain't taking borders. Eh? Absolutely not. The last border we had was a tap dancer. Kept me awake all morning. <laughs> I finally got tired of it and knocked him cold with one of his steel-plated shoes and stuffed it into his own trunk. Eh? <laughs> Incidentally, McGee, where did you ship that trunk? Off to Buffalo. Wow! <laughs> hey, that's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I hear it. The way I hear it, one feller said, tell a feller, say, hey, says, see where Scarlett O'Hara got the Academy Award. Yep, says tell a feller. She lost out with Rhett, but she sure got her Oscar. <laughs> well, I'm sorry you ain't got a room for me. Slept in the park all last summer and didn't like it. The roof leaked. It's on, kid. I'm getting a little tired of all them gone with the wind gags. I don't know how a picture about the bluegrass country could produce so many bum plugs. (laughs) Well, never mind that, McGee. Isn't there any of this junk we can throw away now? Well, now, let me see, Molly. How about this old photograph album here? I should say not. That's got all our family pictures in it. Who's this funny-looking man with the walrus mustache, McGee? Oh, that's my great-uncle Roscoe. We were pretty proud of Uncle Roscoe. He was the first white child in the county to be blackballed by the Elks. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, here's one of me, Aunt Ed and Aunt Carrie. They both had big families. And how many kids do they have, anyway? Ten between them. Add six and Carrie four. <laughs> <laughs> McGee, now, what are you going... Well, hello there, folks. I was just going by and I thought I... Well, what goes on here? Have you been buying out an antique store? Hi, Harlow. Now, uh, this is just a lot of stuff McGee's been hoarding in the closet, Mr. Wilcox. Isn't it wonderful how much you can pack into so little space? Uh-oh. For instance, you only give me about six lines to tell how Johnson's Glow Coat saves hours of house cleaning because it beautifies and protects linoleum with absolutely no rubbing or buffing. Wonderful. But in those six lines, I think I can get the idea across pretty well that a self-polishing preparation like Glow Coat is the very essence of good housekeeping. Boy, it's so easy to use that it's easy to tell about. Ain't he marvelous, folks? That guy has dedicated his whole life to Johnson's Glow Code. What do you mean, Pepper? Harlow, they tell me that way back when you were in college, they wanted you to stroke the crew, and you said no. No stroking, no rubbing, and no buffing. (laughs) Even for dear old University of Southeastern Nebraska. (laughs) Is that true, Mr. Wilcox? No, no, I wasn't a crew man. I went out for ROTC. Oh, Reserve Officers Training Corps? No, revolutionizing old-time cleaning. Well, so long, folks. As the golf ball says, when it landed five feet from the tee, I think I've been topped. 
Well, let's get busy, Molly, and put this stuff back in the closet. You mean huh? you're going to keep all this junk? Can't we throw any of it out? No, sir. I got a use for every one of these things. Now, you don't need this, do you? Huh? What good is one snowshoe? Why, one what? Snowshoe. Is that a snowshoe? Well, shucks, no wonder Billy Mills beat me so bad playing tennis. <laughs> oh, now what? Come in. Hi, sis. Can we... Oh, hey, Molly. Look, it's Gracie Allen. Gracie, won't you come in? Oh, no, thank you, Molly. And I wouldn't have dropped in if I'd known you were entertaining. Oh, we ain't entertaining. Oh, you are, too. I think you're very entertaining. Oh. <laughs> now, you say something nice about Georgie and me. Oh. <clears throat> T.M. Yeah. Well, I heard, Gracie, that the difference between our shows is that yours is always in the middle of the week, and ours is always week in the middle. Oh. <laughs> Gracie, what's this I hear about you running for president of the United States? Oh, there's nothing to it. Oh, you mean you're not running for president, huh? Oh, I mean I'll be elected. There's nothing to it. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, I ain't one to indulge in no idle gossip, Gracie. But I've heard whispers about Dewey and Hull and Garner and Taft being in the White House next year. But I suppose they're just rumors. They are not. I'll be running the White House, and I'm not going to take in any rumors. <laughs> <laughs> What's your party, Gracie? Oh, well, it's my own party. The surprise party. Oh, what an adorable name, dear. Oh, I'm so glad you like it. Well, you can count on our votes, Gracie. I always said there should be a woman in the White House. How about Mrs. Roosevelt? She's never in the White House. <laughs> Molly, do you play bridge? No, I don't. Oh, that's too bad. I'm forming my cabinet and I need seven more bridge players. <laughs> How big a cabinet are you going to have? Just two tables. <laughs> You need a good pool player? Well, no, I'm having the pool table taken out. The eight ball gets in front of too many people. <laughs> By the way, Gracie, uh, when do you expect to move into the White House? January 1st. January 1st? Mm -hmm. You ain't going to be inaugurated on New Year's Eve, are you? Well, I may not be inaugurated, but I'll be feeling pretty good. <laughs> uh, well... I guess I'll be running along now. Well, I'm glad you dropped in, Gracie. You think you can handle your campaign all right? Oh, yes, I can handle my campaign. Though the bubbles always tickle my nose a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both, and don't forget my slogan. Face the White House with Gracie. Good night. <laughs> the King's Men sing. Kaboozalum. Kaboozalum. Within the east, who did the prophet's holy work as Baba of Jerusalem? He had a daughter sweet and smirk, a maiden fair with flaming hair, and all about her like a turkey, except her name. Kabuzalam. Oh, Kabuzalam. Oh, Kabuzalam. Kabuzalam, the daughter of the Baba. The Baba. The Baba. Zoom, 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 zoom. A boy resided near to she. His name was Sam, a perfect lamb. He was of ancient pedigree and came of old Methuselah. He drove a trade and prospered well and gunny sacks and Johnson's wax and ringing at the barber's bell. He met, he loved, he wooed, he won. Methuselah, the daughter of the Baba Jerusalem. Oh, Methuselah, oh, Methuselah, the lovers were discovered by the Baba. The Baba. Baba went beside him, 
himself forgot his prayers and rushed upstairs and took a bowstring from his shelf and came back to bamboozle. Oh, the youth and maiden, then he took and choked them both and nothing both together, pitched them in the brook of Kedron near Jerusalem. Oh, Kabooselum, oh, Kabooselum, Let's see. Oh, then. Well, that's my correspondence course in taxidermy. Taxidermy. Why on earth did you want to study taxidermy? Well, how did I know it meant stuffing birds and animals? <laughs> and there I was, stuck with a chauffeur's license, a city map, and a pair of puttees. <laughs> well, hurry up and put your playthings back in the closet. Okay. It looks terrible laying around here on the floor oh, with it. That... I'll get it. Hello? No, this is the McGee residence. You got the wrong number. Oh, is that you, Mert? He gad every week the same thing. Apologies to Skinny Ennis. How's every little thing, Mert? What's A? Your Uncle Gulliver. Oh, that's too bad, Mert. Oh, my. And they ain't found the body yet, huh? Oh, heavenly days, McGee. What happened? Mert's uncle drove his car off a cliff and had to walk home. <laughs> they found the chassis up in a tree, but they don't know where the body is. What's A, Mert? Oh, that's okay, Mert. Everybody has a wrong number now and then, except Irving Berlin. <laughs> well, now, let's see. McGee, start. why are you saving this long stick of bamboo? Why, Molly, that's, that's got a very definite purpose. If I was offered a job as sparring partner for Joe Lewis, that's the ten-foot pole I wouldn't touch it with. <laughs> I got right. Oh, for goodness sakes, mm. come in. How do you do, Mrs. Uppington? So nice to see you. How do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee? Hi, Uppy. Good heavens, what a... Oh, my, it looks as if there'd been an explosion in here. <laughs> no, just some things that fell out of the closet, Mrs. Uppington. McGee had everything in there but the kitchen sink. Oh, really? Everything but the kitchen sink? Oh, my, isn't that amusing? <laughs> oh, but what I came in for, Mrs. McGee, was to tell you about the symphony concert I've been planning with Maestro Mills. Oh, yes, the symphony concert. Well, it's about time something was happening about that, Mrs. Uppington. I've been waiting so long for that concert, Uppy. I'm, I'm even getting suspicious of Billy Mills. I'm afraid he's a non-conductor. <laughs> oh, well, we must be patient, you know. There's been so many difficulties. For one thing, we're having trouble with the facilities at the Eagles Hall. Oh. oh, what's wrong, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, it's the Eagles, my dear. The Eagles? Yes, they're all roosting up in the rafters, and during rehearsals, they drop eggs on the orchestra. 
You ought to call them down and give them seats in the first row, Uppy. Them birds are critics. <laughs> yes, indeed, they certainly... Oh, now, please, Mr. McGee. It's discouraging enough as it is. I hear they had a kind of an accident during rehearsal the other night, Oh, Abby. yes, and it was so embarrassing. So? Yes, the musician playing the electric guitar reached for a high note and blew every fuse in the building. Oh, my. Oh, my, but those dear, dear boys went right on playing, just as if nothing had happened. Oh, really, Mrs. Uppington? But how could they read their music in the dark? Oh, my dear, that's exactly what I asked Dr. Mills, and he said in his most delightful manner... Oh, yeah. Don't worry about it, babe. Those mugs can't even read music with the lights on. <laughs> oh, really? I thought that was just too gay. <laughs> or am I being a silly girl? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, I must be going. Goodbye. Goodbye, Abigail. Ridiculous, McGee. Yeah. All the time she's back in that symphony orchestra, she's dreaming about Billy Mills. Well, that's always been a pretty romantic spot, down by the old Mills dream. <laughs> Don't you get it, Molly? I says down Ain't by the... Ain't funny, McGee. Oh, well. It was spontaneous. <laughs> Where was I? Say, oh, yeah. uh... You really think you can get all this stuff back in that closet? Why, sure I can. And I don't want anybody touching these things either but me. They're too valuable. I'd have had it done an hour ago if I hadn't been interfered with. All right, you do it then. Huh? I've got some work to do in the kitchen. All right, I'll get it. Dad, I wish somebody'd crawl in through the window just for the novelty of it. <laughs> come in. Oh, there, McGee. Oh, it's you. Yeah, just thought I'd come by and tell you that. Well, my goodness, what's all this? Oh, just something out of my closet. I'm straightening it out. Hey, Gildersleeve, put that hatchet down. I'll do no such thing. That's my Boy Scout hatchet you borrowed last summer. <laughs> Dad, Rattan, it ain't nothing of the kind. That's my Boy Scout hatchet. Ooh. Look at the insignia on the handle there. Owl Patrol. Well, I belong to the Owl Patrol myself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you and the Owl Patrol. <laughs> Why, you don't even know the password of the Owl Patrol. Who? Well, somebody must have told you. <laughs> Listen here, Gildersleeve, I bet you don't know a thing about scouting. I do, too. I was an Eagle Scout with 26 merit badges. Uh, go on. Can you tie a sheep shank? Can you imitate the mating cry of the chimney swallow? Uh, Can you tell which way is north when you're lost in the woods? Certainly. How? I face south and then turn around quick. Look, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gildersleeve, if you're really a scout, you can do your daily good turn by scramming out of here and letting me finish putting this stuff back in the closet. Well, all right, McGee. Uh, you sure that isn't my hatchet? On my word of honor as a member of the Owl Patrol, Gildersleeve. Well, all right, McGee. I'll see you later. Okay. Uh, say. Huh? Uh, give me the password again, will you? Who? Who? <laughs> oh, boy, Scott, that guy couldn't build a fire in a hay, Ma, by rubbing two sticks of dynamite together. <laughs> oh, well, I've got to get the rest of that. Looks like about all of it. Yep. It's all packed back in. Boy, what a job. Hey, Molly. Molly. What is it, Mr. Davis? Look, I got all that stuff back in the closet. All straightened out. Splendid, McGee. Splendid. And after this one, you want something out of there, let me get it for you. All right. Yeah. But now that you got the dictionary out of there, why don't you leave it out? We may need it again. Oh. What's the matter? I forgot to leave it out. I, I packed the dictionary back in there. Oh, heavenly day. Now, hey, now, you stay away from there. I know exactly where I put it. Well, okay. I can get it out without... Oh! 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 Oh!
dictionary. How do you spell anahiliated? <laughs> of yours is positively not going back into that closet. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yeah. hey, wait a minute. Wrong routine. <laughs> well, all right, then. But if it does go back in there, I'll arrange it myself. Now, you keep your hands off at this time. You gonna do it all by yourself? I am. Fine. As the fat lady says when she took off her corset, that lets me out. McGee. Good night, all. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Escape, followed by Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.